Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of Ramble Meets is sponsored by Bet365. James Horncastle, football writer and broadcaster, and Gazetta Football Italia baby. James, it's a pleasure to have you here, um, and I'm not being sarcastic for once. It is. Um, lots of people have lots of different paths into football writing, football broadcasting, being a part of football media. Um, how 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 do you come to be here today? Look, I never wanted to be anything else. I suppose um, I found other careers to be boring. Um, I remember at university, you know, where they had the careers fair. And it's usually big corporate companies that come and want you to attract you into insurance yeah. and to go and work for their law firm. Yeah. I uh, just never spent any time in them. Didn't dwell, just walked on. Because ultimately I wanted to write, I wanted to travel, um, and I wanted to... I mean, my passion was always Italian football, and I haven't compromised on that. Um, I remember applying for the traineeship at The Guardian, uh, where they would take on a young journalist on the sports desk every year. What age were you then? Were you out of university then? I think I was maybe 20, 21. Um, but uh, I got interviewed, I didn't get it. I was gutted because I really wanted to work on that sports desk. Yeah. Um, and I then went to work in the Observer Sports Monthly with, uh, <laughs> with Jonathan Liu uh, at the time. And this was before the... Uh, OSM got um, closed. It was when the Observer used to do a, a different magazine every week, right? Yeah. They rotate through food and sport and music. And, and that was fantastic. Yeah. Um, because it did broaden my mind in terms of, wouldn't it be great to do what Tim Lewis, the editor at the time, was doing, which was you know going to interview Novak Djokovic yeah. um, and do like photo shoots with them in a tuxedo and a swimming pool, which looked, <laughs> looked amazing. But... You know, my my kind of remit then was was writing about bike locks and, and stuff like that, which right. uh, didn't really float my boat. But uh, you got to start somewhere, right? You got to start somewhere, and that was that was brilliant. Um, just being a, a, around that environment, and but I I've never kind of wanted to be anybody else. My my love from from the get go was for you know watching Serie A, watching Channel Four on a Saturday morning and a Sunday afternoon. Um, to catch the games when they were broadcast in the UK, and I don't know, wanting to experience that kind of um, wanting to escape where I I grew up, which mm. was Hull, which isn't a knock on Hull. <laughs> no, it's the uh, way you I'm say that. <laughs> because I, I mean, I grew up in Hull at a time when it was in the national news for being th- voted the crappiest town and yeah. being, yeah, you know, the front page, the front cover of that kind of book that was seemed to be very popular at the time. You know, kind of Sunday Times bestseller. Um, crap towns and, and Hull yeah. always seem to be top uh, of that which I think is uh, shameful really uh, I've European ne- I've, city of culture now though so it's had the last laugh well it was exactly and that, yeah. was, that was magnificent yeah. you know, I've never really um, forgiven Kirsty Olsup and Phil that guy but I think they did a show which was essentially you know highlighting you know, how crap these towns are when in actual fact you know they've, they've contributed so much yeah. culturally to the yeah. UK and beyond hmm. But I, I did want to. Um, I didn't want to stick it. I didn't want to at the same time. Around. You wanted to leave as quick as you could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, although I love going back. Yeah. Um, and but I, I wanted to to get away. And you know, I mean, my fortune really was at university meeting my wife um, Caroline, 
and she had she'd been and lived in Rome for a year um, before going to university, and she got there and she was like. I don't want to be here, you know, right. because her university experience, which you know, a lot of people um, might uh, be able to kind of relate to, is you, you meet loads of friends. They become your best friends pretty much for, for, from then for the rest of your lives. You go out, you have a lot of fun. She'd had all of that in Rome. And yeah. uh, every uh, sort of half term, every end of year, we would go back to Rome to, uh, to see her friends. To, and, then, and then when we, we graduated, we went and lived there. And that was that was very much my kind of yeah. You know, I had this passion for Italian football, but my passion for 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 life and living in Italy yeah. and experience of everything there, you know, all kind of came out of that. Um, because you know, at that time, I had uh, I I'd done history. I did history at university. Uh, I loved kind of researching, um, looking into uh, backstories, the history of all kinds of different countries. Um, states uh whatever and uh but i'd never taken really to languages uh when i was at school for example mm. i always found found the way of teaching them to be not particularly engaging mm. and you know it was it was only when i was when i was out living in italy i did go to to school there at the time to um to learn italian but it was the kind of full immersion being there uh and then le- then more or less learning kind of uh getting kind of football speak Italian from mm. just yeah, buying the newspapers every day. Um, Gazzetta, uh, Gazzetta dello Sport, Corriere dello Sport, um, and, and navigating it uh, navigating it through there and then, you know, various jobs. And, you know, of course, having your sort of, your pipes burst in your flat and having to call a plumber and, uh, yeah, and that okay. sort of thing. Um, uh, what, what is it about Italian football in the first instance that you liked so much? Okay, so, I mean, when I was growing up in, in Hull, uh, Hull is a great rugby league city, um, yeah. and my uncle played uh, rugby league for Hull KR. Uh, I played rugby from from the ages of eight to sixteen. I didn't I didn't play football, right? Um, and I I, I kind of grew up in a I grew up in a family where the sport, the number one sport, was cycling. Um, so I mean that's another thing that I'm I'm hugely passionate about is you know at the moment for example. Last week it was the Milan San Remo. I love all the classics, the monuments. I yeah. love the tour, the, the Giro, uh, and that was something my dad was really uh, enthusiastic about. Um, but I kind of chose football. I don't know whether it was because I wanted it to be different with my within my own family, you know, a bit counterculture. I always tried to be. I, I never liked to follow the crowd, I suppose. Um, and then I would I would watch uh, Gazetta on on Channel Four. And Hull at the time, yeah, Hull City were in the third division, which is 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 League Two. Mm. And you know, I had a season ticket, but I, I, it would it would mainly be to go and spend spend time with with my friends. Mm. Um, and and uh, I suppose yeah, watching uh, watching Italian football, it was the the diversity in terms of the, the color of the shirts, it's the exoticism of it, the exoticism, yeah. the 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 foreign players that were in the league at the time. Yeah. Uh, compared with say the Premier League, where you know most of the foreign players were were from from Sweden and Norway, you know you had these yeah. you had these you know, you know Gabriel Battistuta, Edmundo, Rui Costa. I'm just naming players at Fiorentina, but like all of those guys. And uh, again, just the, the idea. I, I what I really liked, uh, and I think this maybe comes across in 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 my punditry. Is like it's not just about the football for me. It's mm. it's about. Um, the locations, you know, yeah, I remember, you know, you'd watch James Richardson in these various different places across Italy, and just how different they are. And it still strikes me. I was in Milan for the Milan derby a few weeks ago, and you'll be walking sort of up, I don't know, Corso Vittorio Emanuele, and then you'll just see the Duomo. You know, at the end of the street, it's massive, incredible uh, cathedral, and uh, just still takes takes my breath away. It doesn't really get old, mm. and for me, it's it's the, it's the full it's the full package. Again, I, I went to uh, I went to talk to a Scottish player uh, who's at Hellas Verona at the moment, Liam Henderson, and uh, I think one of the things that he said, which you know, really spoke to me, was how there are no modern football fans in Italy; they're all old right. school, right? Okay. You know, they're yeah, because uh, and that yeah, that's a good and a bad thing, you know, in terms of the atmosphere that they create. Um, uh, but there is the, there is the sense that it's a very kind of pure, visceral raw kind of form of, of 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 supporting and following football there which i which kind of appealed which which appealed to me um mm. and still and still appeals to me um 
you know, I, I, that you always get engaged on social media in these kind of debates about, you know, what, what what's the best league? Um, and yeah, you know, people find various ways of of deciding what's the best. For, for me, it's purely on a kind of um, sentimental uh, and lifestyle point of view. I just love Italy and yeah. Italian football. I love all things Italian. I mean, that's 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 the thing for me. Um, I love going to different cities, different regions, trying different plates of food. Mm. Um, I love um, you know uh, Italian music, uh, Italian cinema. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm big into trap. You know, trash rap uh, <laughs> yeah. at, the, at the moment. Um, so when you, so when you, so we go back to when you're living in Italy. Mm. How did you first get into what you're doing now? Are you are you sending emails to UK publications saying, "Look, I'm a I'm I'm based in Italy, but I'm English. I can give you information on all this." Because when we spoke to Andy Brassel, yeah, obviously our colleague from on the continent, he said he saw an advertisement and he thought to write for Champions Magazine, the Champions League magazine, yeah. which is now defunct, and he said. I didn't have the qualifications, but I thought I could do it, and and then they took me on as on a freelance basis. So, how do, how does it all actually start for you? Yeah, I mean, it's funny that Andy mentioned Champions. Champions is a great magazine, um, and the, the editor Paul Simpson. Um, it's not going anymore, right? So I'm right when I say it's defunct. Uh, I think it is defunct. It was made by Haymarket, who right. who produced. Um, well, they did produce four four two before. I think it was recently bought uh, bought out. But Paul Simpson, uh, the editor there, was a great kind of European football. Uh, sympathizer loved it um and i think uefa uh with the with the guys who basically contracted them to make that magazine um but you could write about all kinds of things you know about saint etienne in the 1970s and all that sort of thing yeah. anyway i would i would pitch to them um as well you just but, so you just one day you just thought right i'm going to start pitching to get written work writing work at these different well as, as i said i kind of all i wanted to do was write about italian football so i'd do any i, I would write to anyone who would allow me to do that Okay, champions. paid or unpaid? I would always look to get paid, yeah. and if if there's anyone, so even back then you were like that way. You? <laughs> <laughs> you have to. You yeah, know. No, no, I'm not blaming but, you. But um, yeah, anyone who's listening to this, you know, don't do unpaid internships or don't. Yeah, you know, if 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 you're submitting an article, I would I, I would always look to try and get paid. Yeah. Um, because ultimately, if if you don't, yeah, you know, that that means your work's either wor- worthless and yeah. it brings everyone else's wages down as well because yeah, they yeah. think they can get it for cheap. They can get it cheaper. Yeah. But so I'd I'd write for. I remember growing up uh, again uh, watching uh, Gazetta and they they produced a magazine for many many years around around football Italia called Football Italia, um, and they would they would occasionally get interviews and uh, I would I would write I would write for them. As well, I'd I'd write for Football Italia website. Did you actually know your stuff then, though? I've always backed myself. Luke. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, yeah. No, I think uh, I am very anarchy about Italian football. I mean, if you yeah. if you you've been to my flat, I mean, my my kind of office there is just full of. I've got like nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties Panini albums, which have been completed by other people, which I bought in flea markets in Milan. Right. Okay. Um, I remember when again when I was living in Italy, they produced this fantastic series Gazette. All the Italian um, sports papers they produce, uh, they sell um, all kinds of just trashy kind of things with the newspaper to get you to buy this, particularly the Sunday, the, the Sunday or the Saturday kind of supplement kind of things. Yeah, and I would buy every week. They did, they did. Gazette would do a DVD called um, uh, what was it Campionato Io Ti Amo. Um, I, uh, league, I love you. Right, okay. okay. <laughs> it's like kind of like lamp, love lamp. Uh, <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> but they, and they did every season from nineteen maybe seventy four up until two thousand and ten when I when I was there. And every week a new one would come out, and, right. I, would, and I would go and buy it. And these these DVDs would be like five hours long. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd be I'd be I'd. Sit... There's enough footage from back in the seventies of all oh, these games. So yeah. much, yeah, so okay. much. And and they would they would tie in with. Um, I know the whatever the front pages of Gazetta were in, you know, match day one of nineteen seventy four, seventy five and yeah. and all that sort of thing. And I would just consume all of that. So you had this basis of knowledge in the in the first place because you well, were so into also it. Also I just had a hunger to learn, you know? Yeah. It's like it's it's like anything. Um I and, and that's that's the other thing. I would say that when I was when I was learning Italian, and this goes back to uh, what I'd recommend everyone to do. Learning a language is the best thing I ever did. Um, yeah. And I didn't do it uh, while well, well, I did go to school and learn the kind of fundamentals. Um, yeah, going going to school in in Hull, for example, where I was being taught Spanish, French, and German, uh, I I just never could get 
um, passionate about the way it was being taught to me. So I, what I would recommend anyone to do is if you have a passion, be it football or not, be it music, be it cinema, you know, buy magazines, buy books in, or listen to, to, to music in that language and learn from, from there, you know. Um, so I would, I would, I would, I'd buy, I don't know, biographies of Giovanni Trapattoni or stuff like that. And, you know, I would, I would, I'd have a pen or a highlighter and any kind of word that I didn't understand or whatever, I just, I just either highlight it or put a ring around it and then obviously go and put it in the dictionary and then. Yeah, find out. And, and that sort of thing. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, in terms of starts, I would, I would pitch to everyone. I mean, Sheridan Bird, who we all yeah. know, he, he used to work on staff at Champions. Sheridan now lives in Milan. He had a kind of passion for Italian football like I do. And he would listen to my ideas and and then take them into the kind of uh, production meeting, I suppose, with with Paul Simpson and get, and get them commissioned. I'd write to 442. I'd do the same thing. I remember interviewing Carlo Ancelotti really early on when he was at Chelsea um, with, with 442. And that was purely because... They knew I spoke Italian. They knew I had a passion for that. And so they went to me when that inter- that opportunity presented itself. They thought, well, that's something that we can maybe use James for. And that was still, I'd say, pr- pretty early on in my in my career. You must have been nervous. Yeah, I know. I was, I was sat in a, a small room in Cobham, um, which uh, didn't have any windows in it. Um, and it was kind of painted sort of, it was like white breeze blocks. And all there yeah. was was like a chair in there. It was like an interrogation room, and I, I can remember actually shaking whilst I did that. Just one on but one. Just one on one. Yeah. Uh, and to be fair to Chelsea, I, and I, I, Steve Atkins, the the communications officer at the time, he 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 wasn't like some some other press officer. He wasn't in the room with a watch, kind of stopwatch, like start and go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He stayed outside and then knocked after twenty twenty five minutes or whatever it was. But I was. Uh, shake his color. I mean, color's massive, huge name, you know. Yeah. Um, to, to, I remember again, one of my sort of first gigs was chasing Marcello Lippi around Benny Hill style at <laughs> Earl's Court with uh, Paolo Bandini and um, and Rory Smith. I think it was Rory. I think, I'm pretty sure it feels like a long time ago now, but um, and yeah, we'd been all, we'd all been sort of uh, promised one on one sit down interviews, and then it, that it soon became apparent that we were not going to get one on one, right. Um, interviews. I remember. Uh, I remember Lippi at one stage being really exa- exasperated, saying, "My cosa devo fare? My cosa devo fare?" He's like, "What do I have to do? For God's sake!" <laughs> and he's like having to persuade him basically to give us like I don't know five minutes. Do you think Carlo picked up on the fact that you were nervous? Carlo really appreciated uh, the fact that I, I spoke to him and did the interview in Italian. Yeah, and I spoke. To, and but your I, Italian was good enough at that point. Yeah, I probably made some horrendous mistakes. Yeah. Um, but um, I I think he, he he appreciated it. He also liked the fact that he was at Chelsea, but I asked him, yeah, because, and this this is always, yeah, this is something I always do because I lived in Rome and I used to go to Rome. I used to go to Rome. I used to go to Lazio games as well. But I used to go to a lot of Rome games. I was always passionate about Rome and their history. And I remember yeah. asking him about his playing career there, what it was like to play with um, Agostino Di Bartolomei, what it was like to have Nils Liedholm as a coach, and he loved that. Yeah. You know, he came out of it, and he um, he wasn't expecting it. He wasn't expecting an English guy to speak to him in Italian. He wasn't expecting an English guy to be talking to him about Nils Liedholm and Agostino Di Bartolomei. So um, the barriers have been knocked down just by the fact that you've you've come across like you've really made an effort. Basically. Yeah, yeah, and um, so yeah, and, and yeah, at no point did you have to break back into English. Say, I no, understand that. No. Because the, presumably one of the barriers to learning the language and working in that language is that native speakers can speak it quite quickly, and there's lots of different things that you know. There's a never-ending things amount of things to learn, right? Look, I think you you just have to be confident. Um, again, going back to like learning languages at school, there'd be, there'd be always this kind of you know how important pronunciation is, and nearly, and that is important. But sometimes you can actually, and I don't do this, but I know other people who do. You can sp- you can speak another language almost in a kind of very flat English accent, but if you if you do it with confidence and you're gra- grammatically correct, that's fine. Yeah, you know. Okay. I, I tend to like you know, try to romer it up a bit, but yeah. um, and my wife again is just is in- incredible when it comes to so she, she speaks like a, essentially she's from Rome, even though she's yeah. You know, my wife's English. Um, yeah. But yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah. So. Uh, so you so you had a decent experience with Carlo Ancelotti and a comedy experience with Marcello Lippi. Has there been any sort of situations where 
you've thought this isn't going well or oh my god this guy's a complete dickhead or something like that you know where it's been like a, a challenging situation to speak to someone in 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 your line of work uh, i remember one of the first things that i did was um i went to speak to marco materazzi after he'd been in court i think to try and to try and um he was i think suing uh, some of the papers over here for for misreporting what he'd allegedly said to Zinedine Zidane in right. the World Cup final. Oh, okay, yeah, I remember. Yeah, okay. And uh, I think he was, I think he was successful in 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 anyway some of those. But I, <laughs> it was my first experience of what it's like to have it. I suppose an Italian press officer, yeah, uh, be 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 present during an, an interview. Is this another one on one? This was uh, this was a one on one. Yeah, and this was this was quite bizarre because. He, we started the interview and it was on camera and Matarazzi had his, uh, he had a, a shirt and a blazer on, but his, uh, the collar uh, was sticking out over the blazer rather than inside the blazer. Right. And we started the interview. I think we were maybe one or two questions in and the Italian press officer saw this. I was like, no, 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 no. And then kind of went over and like sort of opened his blazer up, tucked the, uh, t- tucked the shirt collar in and put that back was in. Was this a TV interview? Yeah. Right. Okay. So okay. Right. Uh, so authority is very important. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and almost like mummed him a little right. bit in terms of like you know there's maybe a little like kind of rogue eyebrow hair. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, sort of just like you know, sort of licked licked his thumb and then just yeah. smoothed it over. Yeah. Like that. Um. So that was a bit disorientating. I what did what did um, what did the Matrix do? Oh, that was normal. For, that was, yeah. That was yeah. But no one's ever really sort of been that difficult. difficult. Yeah. No, I mean I've been, I've been quite lucky to be honest. Um, it's because you're so you're so uh, genteel, mate. That's why. Well, no, I mean, I, I I suppose I tend to, and and this maybe has sometimes got me into trouble because I I don't always go for the newsy angle, you know. I yeah, uh, th- th- maybe what they've been prepared for and they're, what they're expecting, um, and I'll always try and go off the beaten track with a player or or a coach um, when I suppose you know. And again, this goes back to my experience with Ancelotti. I remember, I remember him saying that for him, it was quite easy to deal with the media here because all they ever wanted to talk about was kind of personality clashes. Yeah, okay. You know, it's like it's Ancelotti against Wenger yeah. and all this sort of thing. And he yeah. was, and he was like, "Well, what can I say other mm. than, you know, Wenger's had a great career. Yeah, I respect him a lot. Well, in Italy, they would probably drill you more about tactics. And yeah, they'd be like, "Why did you?" You know, why did you play Pirlo on the left-hand side of midfield against this guy when you know you know he's better in sort of a position in front of the defense? Why did you make this change here in minute seventy-three? Mm. Um, shouldn't you be, tra- you know, uh, you know, are the balls fully pumped up? They look like they were deflated today, Carlo, and all that sort of right. thing. Why okay. is the pitch in that kind of condition? Right. Yeah, so it's a bit more it's, arduous. It's it's, it's 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 very granular. I always think if you ask um, tactical questions here, and, and you know, I think Michael Cox would probably relate to this. You ask um, specific tactical questions here. You often, it's often kind of something that you just get shut down on. You know, it's like yeah. move on. We need to we need to actually get to the bottom of you know what yeah. what happened with Meza Özil. You know, yeah, there. okay, right. Yeah. Um, so it's just a bit different, but yeah. Um, all right, uh, time for a quick break, James. Uh, don't go anywhere, guys. When we come back, we'll spend a bit more time talking to James Horncastle. What a treat. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Okay, welcome back to this episode of Ramble Meets, sponsored by Bet365. I am still here with James. Uh, James, beforehand, you would pull the break then, you were just talking a little bit about um, people you've interviewed. Have you ever, I understand very early in your career, interviewing Carlo Ancelotti was a big deal. Is, have you ever sort of looked around where you are now and thought, oh, I've made it? What's the, what's the, what's no, the I moment? I never think I've made it. There's no, there's no moment you thought, well, this is amazing, and you've taken the moment to smell the roses. Not in like an arrogant way, but just as in like, well, I've worked really hard to get it. This is great. I think I'm very lucky. Was it when Italy didn't qualify for the World Cup? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, initially that was a lot of work. Yeah, 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 particularly when they when they went picking over the bones when they the, the first game against Sweden, and then obviously the, the fallout from the second. Yeah, that was that was a very um, intense period mm. for me. But no, I'm extremely fortunate because I get to do what I want to do. I would I would pay to do this job, you know, yeah. and I get paid to do it, which I'm I'm very privilege Caroline wouldn't let you do that no <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> no. but um I suppose you know whenever I get to go to a big game you know be it a Milan derby and I mean I always find this um uh, and I can completely understand why fans listeners followers don't get this but we'll often get asked on social media you know about you know where to go and buy tickets or yeah uh where's the best place to sit and you know, I can relate to that from my time in Rome when, you know, if I was going to the, to watch a Roma game at the Stadio Olimpico, I'd buy a ticket for the Distinti Sud or something like that. But yeah, you know, journalists don't really have the answers to these questions because, you know, we apply for press accreditation. Yeah. We get that accreditation if 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 we're lucky and then we get to sit in the in the press stand. Yeah. Um and So you feel very fortunate to be in that position is what you mean. Yeah. No, it's yeah. it's it's crazy, really. Mm. From 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 being a guy in Hull who used to, I suppose, I remember going to York one day, and um, and this was in in a time where you would buy a Championship Manager, and it would be you, it wouldn't be for all the leagues. It had to be only for one league. Yeah, and I bought the Serie A one. Right, and and again, being you know from being the kid who was playing that to, uh, I suppose being able to go to, yeah, all over the all, all over the uh, the country. So yeah, like I I mean I went to Sassuolo in October, and yeah, you know, just. Uh, just to go to this small village in Emilia Romagna, which doesn't have a or hadn't until recently had a big football tradition, I suppose, because you're usually associating that part of the world with Padma, um, Bologna, um, Spal from what they did in the sixties. But to go to places like that um, and talk to people who work for those clubs and and see the conditions in which they train uh, and yeah, you know, some of the guys who've been there for for years. I always that is the the part of the job I enjoy most, I suppose. Mm. How has football changed since you started covering it? How, what are the big changes? I mean, in terms of reporting, well, the game's just moved on in a huge way, and lots of diff- well, in lots of different ways since we both started. You know, working, doing this sort of, sort of thing. Well, so, uh, what, what, what are the sort of most obvious changes? In, in terms you? of work, I mean, I remember when I started out, Italian football was still still big. A lot of the legendary or Hall of Famers were still playing there. Yeah. They would, uh, you know, you'd see Milan get to the Champions League final in 05 and 07. You'd see Inter win the treble in 2010. And uh, I would say at that time, uh, editors were were prepared to to listen and commission to to stories from all up and down the league, you know, be it, yeah. be it this tiny club that had just got promoted and all that sort of thing. And they commissioned features on that. Whereas now, 
and I think it, it's changing. It's beginning to go back that way. But there has certainly been a period where it's you know we want to know about Juventus. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. We want to know about. Are you talking about British publications here or Italian ones? Uh, no, I would say sort of international media. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. I work a lot for ESPN in the states. Yeah. And but I think this is this is true of uh, of anyone now. Really, it is. It's very much we want to know about Real Madrid and Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah, we'll take content on them, you know, every hour, every day. Yeah. Same when it comes to the Manchester United, Arsenal, Liverpool, um, Chelsea, Spurs, City now, certainly. Because, I mean, that's been really interesting working in TV, seeing seeing how, uh, seeing what clubs rate highest when it comes to, you know, audience numbers. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Bayern, Dortmund, uh, uh, Juventus, AC Milan, Inter, and that's it. And that, and and those, and it's is that collection of clubs which, yeah, yeah, they they want content about, they want to know about, they want to yeah see what these clubs are doing either in the transfer. Room. I mean, that's that's what I would say is has really kind of um, intensified with social media probably since 2010, 11. But do you think the UK has become, you know, take the political situation aside, but in terms of football, do you think the UK has become more europhilic? Yeah, because I think they've got more access to it than ever yeah. before yeah. And, and people are more knowledgeable about it um, you know they they can go on YouTube and watch watch clips and so has good. that made your job harder because you've got to know more has it made my job harder you get more people pulling you up on things and asking you more in depth questions about it and all that kind of stuff I'd say I'm luckier than say um, some of my colleagues who report on the Premier League right because everyone in this country has an opinion on the Premier League uh, and their club they know their club inside out whereas if I'm reporting on on, on something that's happening in Italy in, in English language, you know, a lot of people maybe don't have the same familiarity, don't have the same day, day-to-day kind mm-hmm. of um, knowledge of what's going on at that club or what's been going on with that player. So they tend to be less aggressive. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Obviously, if you make a glaring mistake, which you know, touch wood doesn't happen often, but does does happen every now and again, then you will get pulled up on it. But um, it's... Reporting on a foreign league in 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 an English language, I think there's generally kind of people are going to you to learn and and see to, to to find out a different side of the game because yeah, if you're an Arsenal fan, you know you will you'll you know watch every Arsenal game, you'll read I don't know Ask Blog, listen to Ask Cast and all that sort yeah. of thing, and just yeah, get yeah. that's the know. thing. But I think people don't understand often enough is that you know if you're covering football in general, or maybe whether it's Italian football or English football or whatever. Um, you're never going to know a club as well as someone who supported it all their life mm. and who's a season ticket holder there, who remembers everything about it, and and all, almost and 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 also, it's not necessarily that relevant to have that much overload of knowledge for the job you do. You need yeah. to know a bit, and you need to know about the situation you're talking about and the context of it and all the rest of it. But you're not sitting there in presumably in your in your you know in your back pocket. I don't know, maybe you are. I'm certainly not. Where you've got the full First eleven lineup of Roma in a cup final in nineteen seventy four or something. You'd well, have to go and find that, right? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, yeah. I could I could name you the sort of you know eighty three Roma team um, right. and that sort of thing because right. that's that's the difference between you and me. I think. <laughs> One of the many differences between you and I, I guess. Uh, have you yeah. seen the homogenisation of the game though for, across Europe? Because I know you do a little bit of stuff on France and Germany, all that kind of stuff. Have you seen like a homogenisation of the football going experience? Yeah, I suppose so. In terms of, and uh, you know, you go to certainly big clubs uh, in Europe, and there is it is very much the kind of you get the same same experience, slight slightly different nuances. I would I would say every every, every club has their own identity. Yeah, but certainly you know, sort of goal music. Uh, yeah, and 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 things like that. I mean, that's again, that's one of the things why I love. That's what I love about Italian football is that even if a lot of the games don't sell out, you'll have a you'll have a pocket of hardcore ultras who who have their own kind of stick and they then they other people have said to me that um the clubs around Europe want to replicate what they're doing in the Premier League. Yeah. Well and I think that's that's right in terms of certainly from an Italian perspective they want uh the game to look good on TV. And mm. by that they mean full stadium. You have to have full yeah, you have yeah, to have yeah. full stadium. And and at the moment in Italy for example there's a big debate about what the Milan clubs are going to do with San Siro. Um, are they going to demolish it? Which looks like you know they want to build their own state stadium 
on uh, on the car park adjacent to San Siro. Mm. Uh, and there was a debate about this yesterday. And the Juventus president, Andrea Agnelli, was you know, asked, do you regret building the Allianz Stadium with a capacity of only 41,000? Because you, you, yeah, you yeah. can probably sell, sell, sell out much bigger. And he's like, no, we don't want to just sell out for the big games. We want to sell out every, every game. single sure. game. Yeah, because okay. it, it looks great on on TV, yeah, and and that makes the the league more appealing. Because this is, I suppose, this is the other thing is that um, these days uh, all leagues have global audiences, and that you, you can't always appeal to you know the the guy in in Rome or the guy in Parma who supports Rome or Parma, and that sort of thing. You have to think bigger than that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's uh, that that's that's a major major factor these days. It's a kind of a balance to strike, isn't it? Because that you want the people... Because one of the things that the Premier League has done very well has been able to attract fans of clubs from all over the world, right? Mm. So it's a thing to balance because clearly Juventus want those valuable other fans in China and the US to look at that stadium and go, well, that's amazing. I'd love to be a part of that. But at the same time, they know realistically those people are never going to consistently be a part of that. Yeah. So you've almost got to cater for the fans on your doorstep and those far-reaching fans at the yeah. same time. Yeah. No, and, and football, that's new in football really, isn't it? Yeah. That wasn't really a concern until maybe the Premier League sort of blazed that trail a while back. Absolutely. I think it's it's now about appealing to as, as many people as possible. Um, and, you know, I think we're seeing this in how the game is is diversifying. Um, you know, you look at the, the kind of growth of, of women's football. You know, I remember when Juventus rebranded themselves and... and, and they launched this new logo, which caused a bit of controversy at the time. You yeah, know, I remember the, yeah. the kind of the blurb that they put out was they want to appeal to, you know, um, yeah, sort of young women and kids in in Mexico and the US and all that sort it of thing. It feels like it has to be a universal broad yeah. sort of branding. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. I mean, what do you think, do you think, so when you say football clubs have to diversify, it's probably a good time to talk about where you think the football is going then. What direction is it going in? I mean, because. Um, yeah, it's it's unrecognisable really from when we first started watching it. Yeah. So, what direction do you think it's travelling? What's the what are the biggest concerns? The next, yeah, you know, the crocodiles nearest the boat for football um, in the future. I think it's been quite interesting listening to um, Andre Agnelli and some of the other big stakeholders in the European game in the last week because there's the European Club Association met and signed. Well, they've already signed this memorandum of understanding with UEFA about what to do, and it's it's, it's it looks as though it's kind of killed a European Super League dead. Right. But I think in 2024, what we'll see is, you know, maybe games get played on a weekend. Maybe they'll look to... European games, you know, European competition games. You yeah, know. yeah. UEFA, UEFA games yeah. played on, on, on a weekend. Um, and uh, I think a lot of that is going to come down to restructuring the international calendar mm. um, in terms of, uh, he, for example, you, you look at the disdain that the ECA and I think UEFA have shown to FIFA's decision to kind of they want to expand the Club World Cup. That's right, yeah. It's like, no, yeah, that's just yeah, taking away sort of, that's just going to congest the international calendar more. And Are, we, are of, we destined to be caught in between a big tug of war between UEFA and the clubs and FIFA and the international? I think UEFA and the clubs at the moment look kind of on the same on the same page. No, but I just mean they're on one side and then you've got the international game on the other side. And Because uh, clearly a lot of what FIFA are doing, to me at least, to the layman, seems... That they're just trying to wrestle as much control and as much power back from the clubs who they believe have become too powerful. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I think the Nations League would be an example of that, presumably. Oh, the Nations League's been a, a massive, a massive. But that's success. UEFA, right? That's that's UEFA. Yeah. And I think it's it's quite interesting now that there's the European qualifiers and the qualifiers. It's like going back to what the old international calendar yes. looked like and yeah. getting people enthusiastic and engaged in that has been, I think, been a challenge. Um, but I think. Essentially, for 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 this um, for for all this to happen in terms of uh, let's say Champions League games to be played on the weekend, the the current fixture list needs to be streamlined both in terms of international games for countries, but also I think yeah in England I think you have fifty two domestic games. Mm. You know, you've got your league games, you've got your FA Cup games, you've got your League Cup games. In Germany, I think you've only got forty. Right, um, forty games because you've got a a league that have got you know fewer participants, uh, or eighteen teams rather than twenty, um, and you've only got one cup competition. But how how do UEFA, for example, reconcile that idea of playing European games on the weekend with 
say, the Premier League? I think the Premier League is in an interesting position because obviously it makes so much more money than everybody else. But even we've reached a saturation point in terms of uh, if you look at the recent TV deals, they're for, for less money than, yeah. than they were in, in the past. But a lot of people believe they're going to bring that in-house and start and not set to broadcast. They're just going yeah. to net Netflix it themselves, basically. Yeah. No, I think a lot of leagues are uh, are looking at doing that. Um, you know, that was one of the things that I think Serie A was was looking to do when one of the, let's say, the BT Sport of Italy decided to withdraw and and, and pull out. It's like yeah. we, we we need to start moving towards um, creating, yeah, essentially go direct to consumer rather than you know go with one of these major big major broadcasters. I think we will see something like that. Yeah. Um, coming up, you know, sort of a a Netflix for for, for sport. We're already seeing that um, that company Otro. Uh, I don't know if you've you've come across this, where they're producing a lot of just kind of bespoke footballer content. Where they've got a lot of can, football players on board sign on to it, haven't they? You can watch Zinedine Zidane talk for three hours. Yeah, um, with, uh, with my colleague Julian Laurent. You've presumably, you've presumably done that. Have you? <laughs> no, you've already got that on VHS. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm I'm, inter- I'm interested to see you know how how these. Um, what the business plan for these sort of uh, companies is really, you know, what, what do they think that is that a reflection of, of a new generation of, of football fans coming through and supporting individuals rather than clubs? Yeah. Um, because and, you, and, see, you and, see that more and more in, in the States where, you know, there will be tabs on, on, on newspapers or news sites, which are kind of just dedicated to say LeBron and, yeah. you know, for example, yeah, my experience over over the last year with Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo moving to Juventus within you know within the limits of what you can report about him in the, in the current current circumstances, you know that that is very much what is Cristiano Ronaldo doing. They become one man industries, yeah. of their own, right? Yeah. Has he has he opened a hair transport a transplant clinic, yeah. you know, and that sort of thing? Has he opened a new hotel? These things just people will click 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 for for anything Ronaldo based, and I'm sure it's the same with with Messi. But that doesn't make it. The game and any lesser team sport though. No, all, no. That's off the pitch though, right? That's that's obviously slightly slightly different, I suppose. On on the on the idea that um leagues could take out the middleman and just broadcast directly to to fans, that to me, if you even if you crunch like rudimentary numbers, that that's that becomes like a no brainer quite quickly. Yeah. Because if you fix yourself in a deal for say seven billion quid or whatever it is for the next four years, that's that you know, and that's an obscene amount of money by most people's standards. But the Premier League, for their part, know that that's the maximum they're going to earn mm. in that way for that period of time. Whereas, obviously, the, the, the if they just put it straight to market, it's it's only limited by the amount of people that want to get involved. Yeah, and then their own technology. Well, also, I mean, before how would that affect the game? Do you think? Well, I mean, I think it would skew it even more if, 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 for example, let's say even clubs just became the owners of their own rights and and were able to sell sell their games and stuff like that. Because you see. Um, I mean, the league would have to oversee that, but I think we're already seeing it with the latest foreign um, TV deal for for the Premier League, where they've they've looked to um, the big six have essentially said, "Yeah, we want a slightly more. We want more money for that because yeah, people yeah. abroad are watching." So, it, yeah, it has the potential to skew competitive balance even more, and I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for the for the game: how it realigns in order to. To, to to keep people interested because I don't I don't, I think while the Champions League in the knockout stages recently has just been amazing I mean it's been yeah. outstanding kind of justifies some of the kind of I wouldn't say a super league because that's this is a knockout format you know in a league I don't think you would get the kind of same sort of drama that you're getting in the Champions League at the moment but um but certainly how you keep uh, whether people are interested in still seeing you know maybe a, a Celtic or a Benfica challenging for for the Champions League just in 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 many ways that, that people look at Ajax at the moment and think one of the things that's so great about seeing Ajax compete is because they are one of the you know historic greats of this game and the money and and the economics are against them yeah um and people love an underdog don't they yeah but, but is that shared in 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 with Italy with Italian football fans care as much about that yeah I th- I think they don't want to be um I, mean, I thought it's just part of the British psyche no I think they don't want I mean a lot of yeah, fans of clubs outside of uh, Juventus don't want to be left behind. Yeah, you know? and mm. they, they still want to think that their their teams can com, uh, compete and win things. Um, you know, and, and the fact that this is such a recurring debate, you only have to look at how often managers cite, you know, how much 
yeah, this club turns over respect respect yeah. to yeah Juventus, PSG, Man City, Man yeah. United, and all that sort of thing. To think, um, you know, how do we bridge? How do we bridge that gap? Because ideas will only go so far. Um, yeah, and you know, you can have you know a great tactical scheme for for six months, but within six months there'll be you know 10 15 minutes videos of youtube cutting that up showing how you can you know break through it and all that sort of thing and yeah. it's a copycat league and you move on and, and in many ways that's not going to solve the the issue of of getting a, a league like italy to compete with the league at the premier league the reason the premier league is so powerful is because of the product it's oh, a yeah. branded packaged up incredibly effectively sold product yeah and um it feels like everything has mixed together at the right potent sort of brew busy stadiums, players at key times that have come here, you know, the way that Brit- the UK is very good at broadcasting in general, you know, the way they make good programming, all that kind of stuff. It's all together. It's all packaged up, isn't it? Yeah, and this is the thing I think a lot of people don't, well, particularly in, in the UK, won't be aware of this, but, you know, the Premier League um, has its own uh, company, Premier League Productions, which is based in IMG Studios in uh, near Heathrow, and they produce content every day for global broadcasting yes, partners. that's right, yeah. Um, you know, and we're occasionally guests. Some of them, they, some of them, yeah, they they scrape the barrel so much <laughs> so that we even it, get involved. It's always it's always funny to find that there are there are I mean, one of the things that really struck me about the reach of the Premier League was being was being on there. I think it was an international week, and we were just going over so you know, I don't know players have been linked with Premier League clubs from abroad and all that sort of thing. How you know, feasible you thought various moves are, and you have people watching in a bar in Nepal yeah. with the Himalayas. Yeah, it's amazing. It's right? amazing. That's that's the that's the that's yeah. the reach of it though, or, right? Or, or you're doing you're doing fan zone where you're talking to people yeah, live from Zimbabwe yeah. about what they think about Maurizio Sadi at Chelsea. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's that's the power of the brand. And I don't think I, I know La Liga has um yeah, they've tried to do sort of similar things. They have their own kind of press show where they get journos involved to go over the weekend's games. But the Premier League, when it comes to that, yeah, they do their own yeah, you, you, you watch the guys on on uh, match of the day or goals on Sunday and that sort of thing. Yeah, those pundits, Ian Wright, Alan Shearer, often on a Sunday, if yeah, when they're not because they're not on Sky, they'll be on PLP. Yeah, doing doing um and that half pre match half time full time analysis mm. of whatever the big game is in the Premier League, and that will be being broadcast in Nigeria, in India, and that sort of thing. The Premier League have just got it sewn right up from well, the get go. Before we get before we wrap up because we run out of time, what's the best experience you've had covering football in your job? Oof. Was it when Italy didn't qualify for the World Cup? <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the best experience? I I love going to uh, interview players, being told to wait for players, and then getting to watch training. Yeah, I bet. I love that. Yeah. Um, that's. I remember going to interview Justin Clivert recently, and it was a wonderful afternoon. The sun was coming down. They had a they had a they had a small sided game going on, and you you get to watch what these professionals what their daily kind of work is like, I mm. suppose. And 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 I remember there was Stephen Inzonzi. I think yeah, one of his one of his kids was there watching him. You know, in that Inzonzi shirt, mm. and then you know he he walked off as he as he was going to the dressing room, said hello to his. His kid, I, I just love the kind of daily, I suppose the daily life of uh, behind the uh, scenes, get, get, kind of get, insight, yeah. getting yeah the privilege, you know, the privilege. It's a real privilege to be able to to see that. Yeah. Um, in terms of going to a football game, I always remember one of my first experiences at Stadio Olimpico, going to watch Roma Catania with my Swedish friend Dan, and we uh, we sat in the Distinti Sud. The great thing about sort of sitting in the Distinti Sud is you get to look into the Kudova Sud. Mm. Uh, where all the ultras sit and how they they were like rushing to the to the barriers like this stampede and you know people falling over and all that sort of thing it, it, they seem to be having the best time ever and then coming out of the game afterwards Catania fans not happy I would yeah, say yeah. after making the trip up yeah. from, from Sicily yeah. um, and you know seeing sort of riot police buses being turned over Things being set alight, and you thought this was a bit of me. This, this is this is a great experience. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, you must have because thought I'm that. very I'm very Danny Dyer football. No, but you must you must have thought this is this is you know, this is quite quite interesting. You know, yeah. I mean, it was unlike any other kind of football experience. If say you know going to Boothbury Park to watch Hull or, or going to going to Ellen Road to watch Leeds, yeah. it was, you know, it was unlike anything I'd kind yeah. of ever seen before. And yeah, you know, even that stage, I was like 20, 20 21 and it's. 
yeah, that's yeah. I think that was like a kind of hot kind of spring day, and just yeah, you really felt the kind of heat in terms of you know atmosphere, kind of yeah. intensity, you know, which you know I don't think that's yeah that experience is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's certainly when people write to me and say, uh, I remember there's a um, one of the other things I do is on a is on a Sunday if I'm not. Uh, in Italy covering a game is that I'll go into IMG and and help out with the production of the kind of Serie A World Feed highlights show and stuff like that. I remember one of the kind of one of the producers there was he went to the Rome Derby in a couple of months ago and uh, he sent me an email saying kind of what you know where can I buy tickets what should I do before the game how do I get to the stadium and all that sort of thing and and in the email it was very much kind of like you know if I do this, will I get beaten up? Or uh, if uh, if I go down this route, will I get beaten up? You know, what are the risks and all this sort of thing? And uh, to be honest, I've been I've been very lucky covering Italian football for the last you know ten years or so, ten twelve years. In that you know I've 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 seen violence, but I've never actually experienced it. But that is a lot a lot of people's starting point. And again, that's something the Premier League has got over. So yeah, and that, yeah. yeah, obviously when people go to a Premier League game, they're not they're not that's not in their forefront of their mind, whereas it was with this colleague at, yeah. at IMG. Um yeah. but what's next for you, James, before we go? What's next? I mean, how close are you to that director of football job at Roma? <laughs> Which is presumably the the sum total of all your efforts so far. Is is you know, now Monchi's left. Is there a chance there for you, do you think? Uh, no, I don't think there is. I think uh, yeah, I I think what's really interesting there is is yeah, Roma tried to blend it, I suppose, and um, have a lot of algorithm kind of money ball sort of. I don't want to talk about Roma. I want to talk about you. What's next about you? Yeah, no, I'd, you? I'd I'd love to to write a book and finally get a book off the ground. Good. Um, that's that's got to be that's got to be my driving kind of force. Well, I'm uh, sure football ramble listeners everywhere and <laughs> on the constant listeners too, of course, will be queuing up in their droves to get a signed copy from you at. Yeah, um, I'll sign anything at Waterstones Hull. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I'd, I'd be only too pleased to do a, a, a book signing in Waterstones Hall. There we go. Yeah. Hopefully, we can. But James, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. Um, I'm sure our listeners found that fascinating, and uh, obviously, you can be heard on on the continent every week and absolutely no other podcasts at all. Um, <laughs> and people can see you on TV as well and read all your stuff in the various different publications you work for. Mm. So, thank you very much for coming in, and um, we'll catch up with you soon. Pleasure. This episode of Ramble Meets was sponsored by Bet365. This was a Radio Stakhanov production. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 